and the two oldest ones both joined the Navy. They were lost nine days apart. So the parents lost two oldest sons within nine days of each other. How do you get over that? You're listening to the Stories Behind the Stars podcast. My name is Tatiana Fallon, and I'm your host. This podcast is run by the organization Stories Behind the Stars. This has nothing to do with Hollywood. We are telling the stories behind the stars that were given in World War II. For those of you who are not familiar, during World War II, when a service member was killed, the family received a banner with a gold star on it. We are telling the stories behind these stars. Our goal is to put them all 400,000 into a common database, which then we will build a smartphone app that will be searchable from any location where you can read the story behind the star and you can really come to know the individual that died on D-Day and fought for our freedoms. This podcast is dedicated to telling those stories as we find them, as our researchers are doing this amazing research. You'll hear from researchers who are all volunteers from all across the country, and you'll hear their story, what brought them to the project, and then also the stories that they're finding. This is amazing content, and I really hope you enjoy this adventure. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. We have the opportunity to have Steve Booth with us. Steve, will you take a second and introduce yourself? Well, I think you did a fine job there. Uh, (laughs) As you said, my name is Steve Booth. I am a retired pharmacy technician, except I went back to work. Um, I I had the opportunity to join with our local county health department, and so I am giving uh, COVID-19 vaccination shots, trying to get this pandemic out of here. Wow. Um, Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. I was... uh, in my spare time, I saw uh, the uh, advertise, or actually, it was a newspaper article uh, for Stories Behind the Stars about a year and a half ago, in the in the Salt Lake Tribune, and uh, that that spoke to me. And the reason that it did is because my uncle served in the 743rd Tank Battalion during World War II. Um, he survived, luckily. But um, I was his, the sole caretaker for he and my aunt in their later years. And I finally got him to start talking to me about what uh, he had experienced during, uh, during his time in Europe. Um, when he was 86 years old, he told me that he would like to learn how to use a computer because my father was pretty good on a computer. So I bought him a computer, went over, set it up, got him online, and he started taking uh, classes at uh, the Salt Lake Community College in operating a computer. Now, this is when he was 86 years old. Um, By the time he was 90, he was pretty proficient. And he was online, he was was chatting with his 743rd buddies or their uh, survivors. Uh, I finally asked him to sit down and write out his memories on the computer for me. Um, I've got a, a really good story, and I found out he was, in a, he was a creative, wonderful writer. 
Um, but he gave me a real, I mean, a real shot about what was going on. At the end of World War II, the 743rd became an uh, occupational government in Germany, in, in uh, Berlin. And during the time they were there, one of the, one of the uh, members of the 743rd uh, found a linotype machine. And they printed up a book that was the combat story of the 743rd. It was a day-by-day -day account of what they went through. And it also has listed uh, all of the members of the 743rd, all of the KIAs, and all of the MIAs. And so I have all the names that I want. And so I told your dad that I was adopting the 743rd as my project. So now wow. I've, I've stretched out and I helped out with D-Day and I'm also help, helping out with Pearl Harbor. That's amazing. That's so cool. So he, um, so did he tell you personal stories or, or he just wrote it all out and gave this, the whole thing to you or? A little bit of both. In the beginning, it was it was uh, verbal back and forth. And when uh, uh, when I talked him into sitting down and writing it out, he he started from uh, the day he enlisted uh, in 1943 uh, through through everything uh, all the way through. Um, one of the things I discovered in writing the stories for for the the fallen people in, in the 743rd is he, he kind of gave me the sanitized version of what was going on. And right at the end of uh, what he wrote up, he said, this is about all I can remember, parenthesis, or really, re really wish to remember. And I think a lot of the uh, World War II veterans are the same way. They just don't want to remember it. They don't want to relive it. I kind of, I, I get that though, you know, that you see things you don't want to see. And like, oh. I mean, what, when I interviewed, a, like there was a man in our neighborhood and I was teaching a World War II class. And so he served in the engineer corps in Europe. And I, I was like trying to find a veteran for my students to, to interview. So I, I called him up and I said, hey, would you be willing to do this and, and be willing to talk to these kids in my class? And He's like, oh yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, he was 94 at the time, yep. and so his wife, his daughter, helped us do it because you know we were going to meet on Zoom, and, and this was back in 2017. And I, um, I asked him questions, and he answered questions that she had never heard before, yeah. like stories that she just. She told me later, she's like, thank you so much for reaching out and asking him these questions. Yeah. Because he told, I heard things that I just, I didn't even know. Like, and, um, you know, maybe because I'm not a family member or maybe because I was like in a teaching experience, he was willing to like reach out. But I mean, I asked him like, did you, did you find the Holocaust camps? And, and he's like, yeah, we, we walked up to him and it looked like gravel, but it wasn't gravel. It was, it was teeth. Deep and like, deep. yeah. And he said like, his daughter was just like, I had no idea what my dad had been living with that memory his whole life. Yep. So it's just, you know, I think for their own sanity, it's, it's just like, I don't want to go that far down remembering those things. You know, it's, it's amazing that they, my, my uncle was also involved in uh, uh, liberating uh, some of the uh, uh, extension or uh, uh, 
yeah, the camps, the prisoner camps over in Germany, and his his unit actually, when they were towards the end of the the war, they were moving towards Berlin, and uh, one of the uh, officers of the tank command ran into a couple of Finnish soldiers that had been working with the Nazis, and then Finland cut all ties with Hitler. And so the Nazis just grabbed these Finnish soldiers and put them in the uh, concentration camps also. And then, because the GIs or the Allies were moving towards them, getting close to Bergen-Belsen, uh, they, they packed about 3,000 people on an old cattle car train and proceeded to move forward to take them deeper into Germany for extermination. Uh, the tank corps caught up to them. And so the guards on the train, on the siding, abandoned the train and took off. Uh, the tankers got a few of them and brought them back, but a lot of them just disappeared into the, into the countryside. But when the, when the two tanks that were, were investigating this actually found the train on the siding, they found 2,500 people that were packed in those rail cars uh, that were scheduled to be exterminated and the tank corps liberated them. They got them out of, and there's some pictures that are, are really interesting uh, taken by uh, uh, Major uh, Clarence Benjamin and uh, Sergeant George Gross that shows these people as they realized uh, the Americans that arrived and they were going to be saved. They're just, the pictures are, are absolutely outstanding. Uh, you can find them, if you want to look at them, you can find them on a website uh, called uh, A Train Near Magdeburg, M-A-G-D-E-B-U-R-G. So your uncle was, was there when that happened or? No, he, not, not, at, uh, not at Magdeburg. Okay, he, but that was, was still with, the unit. Yeah, that was that was another company of their tank battalion. But he was he was involved in liberating uh, two or three other concentration camps that they did come across. Wow. Yep. Wow. So, do you have uh, any particular stories that you've uncovered that you'd like to share with our audience? I do. Um, about. Three years ago, I think it was, um, I belonged to a credit union here in Utah, and the CEO sent out a, a bi-monthly uh, newsletter with the monthly statements. And just before Memorial Day, probably four years ago, part of his uh, newsletter was about his uncle who had served with the 743rd Tank Battalion and was lost on D-Day. And so I contacted the manager in my area and I said, um, can you get a message to John? And he said, yeah, what's up? And I said, his uncle served with my uncle in the 743rd. I didn't know there was anybody else from Utah that was there. But uh, I said, I've got some information, the, the combat story of the 743rd and a bunch of other stuff 
that he might be interested in seeing. And so I met him. He said, can I bring my wife? And I said, yeah, sure. Not a problem. So I met him, him and he and his wife for lunch one day. And we sat for probably three hours while he went through that book and taking pictures with his cell phone and just talking about what was going on. So when I, I got together with your dad on this uh, uh, Stories Behind the Stars, his uncle was the first story I published. Uh, a young man uh, hit uh, uh, Omaha, or, yeah, Omaha Beach on the 7th of the, or the 6th of the June and uh, got into some, some pretty hairy action. Of course, all of them did, but he, uh, he, was, he was killed on uh, D-Day on the 6th of June and was lost. He was missing in action for about a week before they, they finally found him and figured out what was going on. And then uh, in about 1948, uh, his family made application to repatriate his remains, and he is now buried in the Ogden City Cemetery. Uh, but that was that was my first one, and I had a. I realized that when you have relatives and survivors that you can talk to, it just warms the story right up. Uh, it's not just the facts; uh, they have insight that is not posted on Ancestry.com or anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so just real quick, because I'm, I'm naive about this, but the, the tank battalion on D-Day, they came in after, right? After the infantry, kind of with the tanks? No, or the, no. No, they, they were, were... The 743rd Tank Battalion was created in 1942 specifically to, to lead the landing on Omaha and Utah Beach in Normandy. So they were the first ones on the ground and the infantry followed them because they were the armor. And oh, okay. uh, so they were, the, the tankers actually acted as, acted as cover for uh, the infantry troops that landed. So what did, was his tank shot? Is that how he perished or how did he, did it, did, I know some of the tanks sank, right? I mean, Yes, a lot of them, but that the the they were the the seven forty first tank battalion. They were supposed to be. They called them direct drive DDs, uh, and they were supposed to float into the water because they had a canvas shroud around them, and they they fixed a propeller to the back of the truck the the tank that would propel them through the water. The problem they ran into was when the LCT the land, the landing craft tanks dropped their their ramps. They were about 600 yards out from the beach. And so these guys were supposed to go splash in the water and then swim up to the beach and then take off. But what happened was they had, well, D-Day was supposed to have happened on the 5th of June, but because they had a storm and the seas were so rough, Eisenhower decided to cancel it and do it the next day. Well, the next day, the seas weren't as heavy as they were the day before, but they still were. And because these tanks got into this surf that was really heavy waves, that's what swamped them and, and sank them. And the, the two commanders that were, uh, the two company commanders that I know of that were on the LCTs and, and witnessed this, 
just cancel the orders to the skippers, uh, the LCTs, and said, do not drop them now, take them all the way in. And so that's what they did. And so about 10 of the tanks originally were lost because they sank. And the rest of them, the LCTs took them right in on the beach. And they, uh, the, you know, of course, then they engaged. But with, with, uh, with Lund, uh, the, the soldier I just told you about, uh, he was knocked out of his tank uh, as, he was, as he was approached or as he was going up Omaha Beach. And so he had to bail out of his tank. And so he found another one where the driver was, was shot. And so he moved the driver out of the way, hopped into the second tank and proceeded to move it along. He was knocked out of that. And that's when he was, that's when they got him and he was further in. So they didn't know where he was. So how do you get knocked out of a tank? Because you get I, hit by artillery. Okay. Artillery okay. shell will, will uh, shut a tank down or in some cases uh, they explode. Uh, because they've got all this ammunition that they're carrying. Yeah, plus the gas tank. They, they ran on gas. Uh, speaking of that, one of the things I discovered while I was doing some stories is, is to repatriate remains of soldiers that were killed and buried in various places in Europe. Uh, the families had to make application uh, to the quartermaster general in Washington, D.C. to get permission to do that. And those applications uh, in, for the most part, uh, have become public records. And so that helped me write the stories and see what they were doing. And so on, I can't remember which soldier it was, but I pulled up uh, a record, uh, a repatriation uh, application and was looking at it. And I'd seen a lot of them before that, but I was looking at it and I saw five names the person they want, the soldier they wanted to repatriate and four others at the bottom, along with their service numbers. And I started thinking, what the heck is this? And so I took the, the soldier's names at the bottom and their, their service numbers and started doing uh, research on those guys. And I discovered what it was, was the five men that were lost were all in the, they're all in the same tank group. They were in the same tank. And the tank was hit by an artillery shell and exploded. And so what the what the army did was when they went out to recover them, they got what they could, and all five went into the same casket. And so they repatriated five that time, and they and they uh, I found out that in a case like that, the next of kin don't get to choose where they're buried. The army does that because you've got I mean. How do you explain to somebody, I'm sorry, I can't send your son's remains home? Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> and this stuff is just, it adds depth to the war. I mean, I've, I'm not a huge historian of World War II. I've read lots of books and I've, I've watched, you know, Ken Burns and I've done things. And obviously I'm involved in this project, so I'm passionate about it. But I love hearing the individual's part in, you know, like, you know, specifically, what did the tanks do on D-Day? What did the landing craft do on D-Day? What did the Navy do? You know, like every yep. single one of the parts. And then like, just then you hear the other end of the story too. It's like, what happened to the families of the soldiers that were in tanks? Exactly. Like, that's just adds a depth of, to history that is, you just don't see portrayed as much because it's, maybe it's difficult to say, or I, I don't know, maybe people don't realize how 
like as a mother, just knowing, oh, my son's gone. And, and then I'm like, I can't get him back because of this incident that happened. Like, it's just, you don't think about that when you think about D-Day. I just finished a Pearl Harbor story uh, about a, a family of, I think there's like seven kids and the two oldest ones both joined the Navy. Um, they were lost nine days apart. So the parents lost two oldest sons within nine days of each other. And that, I was thinking exactly the same thing you just said, man, how do you get over that? Yeah. And so the guy that you told his story, his name was Lund. Was that right? Or Yes, his name was Winton, Alvin Winton Lund, uh, but he went by Wint. Uh, and he, when I, when I was researching him, uh, of course his nephew, I knew his nephew through the, the credit union, but he had one sister that was still a survivor. And so I managed to get a conversation with her, uh, which again, brings a lot of, of warmth to, to stories like this. Um, I'll give you another one. Uh, this one, this one fascinated me uh, only because I mean, it fascinated me by mistake. It was one of those things I lucked into. Uh, the soldier's name was Jasper. He went by Jack, uh, middle initial E. His last name was Leonard. So I started doing some research. He was with the 743rd Tank Battalion also. So I started doing some research and I went to the website, uh, find a grave. And I was looking at some information there and right at the bottom, there was a message that was posted by a guy in his hometown who volunteered every uh, Memorial Day and Veterans Day to go out to the local cemetery and put flags on the graves of the uh, uh, veterans or the fallen soldiers. And he mentioned Leonard's name in his, his message. He would like to know more about him. Uh, it, it was posted, I think it was posted like 11 years before I saw it. And so I don't know why it was still there, but there it was. And so I, I sent this guy a message through Find a Grave and said, I am researching uh, Jack Leonard's uh, history and, and participation in World War II. Uh, I would like to speak to you. So he sent me an email back really quickly. And he said, uh, his sisters are all gone, but he's got a niece that lives here right next door to me. And so he said, I gave her your email address also. And I said, that's fine. And so I chatted with her a little bit and asked her if she had any, you know, told her what I had and asked her if she had any information that might be interesting to, to use in the story. And I got back um, a lot of things, but one of the things that um, one of the things she sent me was a letter. And if, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll tell you what she said. What I wrote in the story is in a poignant tribute to Sergeant Leonard, his niece, sister Patty Lou's daughter, Jacqueline, and they called her Jack in his honor. Uh, Bailey wrote a note to me. 
It says, I have spent a good part of my evening reading letters that were written by Uncle Jack to my grandparents and my mother while he was in the military. Some of these were written when he was in training, but many came from both England and France. That's when they were engaged. It was fascinating for me to finally read these. I have had them in my personal possession since 1999, when I found them in the highest cabinet in my mother's house that had been destroyed by flooding from Hurricane Floyd. These were so treasured by my mother, she was extremely close and she had to put in the safest place in her house. I suppose it says a lot about how Jack's siblings loved and respected him when you understand that three of them named their children for Jack. I am the only girl to possess that name. All three of us have been called Jack all our lives. I hope he would be proud of the tribute. My uncle's letters to my grandparents, this is the good part. My uncle's letters to my grandparents and to my mother were amazed, I was amazed at how much personality came alive for me. I knew he was very handsome and that he was popular with the women and handsome part is easily identified by his photos. I've also been told that he was very uh, fun loving and a tease. This came through clearly in his letters. I'm glad that I finally let myself read these tonight. In his letters, Jack would tease my grandmother about bringing himself, uh, bringing home a girl from England and telling her that he couldn't understand what the girls in France were saying, but he liked them too. In one letter to my grandmother, he was even said he was getting old, 30. Uh, that, maybe, that maybe he should think about courting a certain person when he returned from France. My grandmother would, would, would intervene for him. Oh, if, if my grandmother would intervene for him. I knew this person as an older lady and knew she, this was a joke because Jack and my grandmother were definitely not his type. Uh, he, even, he even signed his letter to my grandmother, Love Jack Ass. Knowing my grandmother, I never would have dreamed any of her children would ever such, utter such a thing to her. Obviously, Obviously, Jack loved teasing her a lot. Um, anyway, it just it just shows what uh, and and she sent me one of the things that happened was was Jack was a sergeant. He was a tank commander, and on his first foray into uh, uh, France, his tank was knocked out by three German tanks. He got hit by artillery. So not being able to move, he was sitting in one place. So he proceeded to take out the three tanks that came after it. And then he had to walk back to his unit. Well, after about a mile or so, he encountered a horse. And having been raised on a farm, he commandeered this horse and rode the horse back to his unit. Fortunately, there was a, a, an AP photography in his in his unit that got a picture of him, got a picture of him coming in on the horse. That kind of stuff you can't get anywhere but with family. Wow, I love that. I love that you. So you've been doing this research for a long time, then, like yeah, just yeah. A, in legacy of your uncle, just continuing these stories and, and you were just collecting all this and were you going to write a book or? I, you know, I didn't know. 
I didn't know. Wow. I just, uh, uh, when he gave me his stuff in writing, I knew there was more out there. And having, having the book, having the information, having all of that, it just kind of flowed. Wow. I just, it's so cool to hear family and that you've taken the time to connect with family and just think about like you reaching out and saying, Hey, tell me more about your uncle. And then she can have, Oh yeah, my uncle. And like have that amazing interaction with him, even though he's been gone for so long. Right. So it's just kind of cool to see how us doing this work is actually like healing family and to some extent, you know? Yes. Yes. With the, with the fact that she'd had those letters for, probably 15 years and never looked at him. And then finally, after I contacted her, she took him down and that's what she found. I mean, that, that's just very, very satisfying. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's, it's also, I don't know. I don't know the quite right word is, is liberating or insightful, but to, to know that like when we do this work to find these stories like they get to live again in, a, in the hearts of their family. They get to live again in the hearts of, of, of posterity. And, and it's so, it's just it's so inspiring to hear, like, just, they just keep their legacy. They, they keep going, you know, it, it's, it, yep. it's not the end. Thank you so much for spending your time with us, listening to these amazing stories of these fallen heroes. If this is content you want to keep hearing, please consider sharing this podcast with others. The more we grow our listening base, the more people we can reach, the more impact we can have, the more volunteers we can find, and the more stories that get told. So if you like this content and you're enjoying what you're hearing, please follow us and share and find us on any social media platform You'll and, and follow us there. And then most importantly, check us out at storiesbehindthestars.org. Click the volunteer button and join the Star Corps. Thank you.